Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, 103.9 in the capital region of New Hampshire, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. And as always, for the last uh, 77, 78 years at 1450 on the AM dial, plus streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Kale and Company is presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. And uh, joining me this morning here on the program is the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Chief Examiner, Life and Health Division, Maureen Belanger. Maureen, great to have you with us. Great to be here, Ken. And uh, Maureen, just before we uh, get started, tell us a little bit about your background in the uh, insurance business. Okay. Well, I've been at the New Hampshire Insurance Department for about seven years. And prior to that, I worked at a national health insurance company for almost 20 years. Very good. So you have uh, extensive background in insurance And uh, we will uh, try to uh, delve into exactly what you do here on the program today. What is the role of an examiner at the insurance department? And uh, what are some of the the things you investigate with your life and health specialty? Excellent. So um, the role of an examiner is to examine insurance companies. So it's similar to an internal audit or a review. What we do is we look at companies and how they operate in the market. So we have a financial regulation division that looks at company solvency, whether or not they're financially stable and able to pay their debts. And market conduct looks at how the company actually behaves in the market. So how are they treating consumers? Are they following our laws and rules? Are they following, in some instances, federal law? Do they follow their own policies and procedures? And essentially how they're treating the consumer when the consumer needs to utilize the services that the company provides. Now, we have insurance agencies on the local level uh, here in New Hampshire and and all the other states as well. And and then we have the the national uh, insurance companies that we hear about on uh, on, uh, television, on their uh, ads and, and so on. Uh, all those clever insurance ads that we see from yep. time to time. Uh, so do you investigate both on the local level and the, the national level? So for market conduct and market analysis, we look at anyone who has a license from the New Hampshire Insurance Department. So it could be a national company, it could be a local company, it could be a producer. Um, if they are licensed by the department, they fall into our purview from a market regulation perspective. The financial regulation perspective is a little bit different. They focus on domestic insurance companies, so mm-hmm. companies that are here in New Hampshire, where market looks at, doesn't matter if you if you reside here, from a company perspective, if you have a license from us, then we get to look under your hood. Yeah, and uh, I'm assuming that that would be an important aspect of being a regulatory agency. Very much so. I mean, our our goal is consumer protection. So we want to protect the consumer when they have any sort of insurance transaction. We also want to make sure that the market is robust and healthy. So that gives consumers more options when they're shopping for insurance. But we need to make sure that the companies that are here are treating the consumer fairly. They're doing business as they said they were going to do business. um, And consumers can contact them and reach them when they need to. Our uh, insurance companies... 
examined uh, on a regular basis or only when, you know, a red light goes off? Or how, how does that work? Great question. So from our financial regulation division, they are on a pretty um, routine schedule where they're looking at domestic companies every five years. From a market conduct perspective, it's a little bit different. Um, the the market regulation unit, which is where my team resides, is broken out into two different functions. We have a market analysis function and we have a market conduct function. So the market analysis function is proactive in the sense that they look at data and information to identify problems before they become a larger problem. Mm -hmm. Market conduct is more reactive. So once a problem's been identified, we tend to go in and see how big the problem actually is. Is it really a problem? The data may point to something that um, is indicative of an issue, but it really may not be an issue if you know, once we get in there and take a look at it. So we're not set up to look at companies routinely at this point. It is something that we would consider doing in the future. Um, but right now we're more uh, reactive to what the issues in the market may potentially be or what consumers are running into in terms of, of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maureen Belanger is with us and she is the chief examiner for the Life and Health Division of the New Hampshire Insurance Department. And if you have any questions regarding your insurance coverage, the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Consumer Services Division is here to help. And you can contact them by emailing consumerservices at ins.nh.gov. Again, consumerservices at ins.nh.gov or calling 800-852-3416. And you can learn more at nh.gov slash insurance. Uh, Maureen, what is the the process uh, used to collect the information needed to uh, truly understand aspects of the insurance industry, uh, to have worthwhile uh, analyses, uh, investigations, and examinations? How do you go about uh, collecting that information? Great question. So we have a couple of ways that we collect information. One is um, through the NAIC, which is the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, and they have um, annual reporting that's required from a financial perspective and then from a market conduct perspective. So we look at financial annual statements that get filed through the NAIC. We also look at market conduct annual statements that get filed through the NAIC. In addition to that, the state... um, has laws and rules that require certain data be reported to the insurance department. So we include that in our analysis as well. We'll also look to see what other jurisdictions and states are doing with certain companies. If it's a company that's licensed in our state, then we want to see what, you know, maybe they're doing in other states and does that impact consumers here? Um, We will um, go out and look at media. You know, is that company or or any company in the media for a good reason or a bad reason? Um, Have they filed new products with us, something that we would want to take a look at? So we really do a wide swath of data gathering in order to get a picture of what the company is is doing and behaving like in the market. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are all aspects of of, uh, insurance, uh, 
what what do you deal with mainly? We have you know auto insurance, life insurance, uh, you know homeowners insurance. Uh, what do you deal with uh, in in your department? So the life and health division is responsible for health insurance, which includes major medical. It, it would include disability um, and other ancillary health products like dental, vision, um, et cetera, long-term care. Um, from a life and annuity perspective, we look at life insurance and annuity products. So um, we have another division, the property and casualty division, that looks at property and casualty, homeowners, um, auto, et cetera. So we focused on the life and health business. Now, you mentioned uh, NAIC, the National Association of Insurance uh, Commissioners. Uh, do they set the standards, uh, lay the groundwork for how all these functions take place? They do, actually. We have um, what's called the Market Regulation Handbook that gives us guiding principles for how we conduct analysis and examin- examinations. It's a four-volume set. It's over a 1,000 pages long, so there's a lot of detail in there. Um, And there's about 108 different standards that we need to follow, and that covers everything from education for examiners, um, the type of experience that they should have, right to what we should be considering and looking for when we're looking at a company during an examination or an investigation um, or when we're conducting analysis. And I should mention that besides analysis and examinations, there are other functions that the unit provides. Um, We want to make sure that we're tailoring our regulatory response to the issue at hand. So it could be something that may be resolved with a phone call to the company as opposed to calling an examination. It could be asking for some data to clarify some information that we've received. It could mean an investigation, which is a little bit um, less intensive than an examination, or it could be an issue that requires an exam. So we've got a what we call the continuum of actions, a spectrum of responses that we can issue if we're concerned about a particular area or company. What are some of the things that uh, would trigger uh, an investigation? Um Concerns with data, anomalies. So one of the things that um, the MCAS data, the Market Conduct Annual Statement data that goes to the NAIC provides, is it gives us a look at companies in certain measures across a market. So if we wanted to see if a particular company had a measure that was an outlier in New Hampshire or maybe an outlier nationally, that would trigger us to do a little more investigation and explore a little bit why that is. Um, so we we look at that data, and if we see an outlier, we'll focus a little more attention there. Our guest is Maureen Belanger. She is the chief examiner for the Life and Health Division of the New Hampshire Insurance Department. Again, if you have uh, questions regarding your insurance coverage, the New Hampshire Insurance Department's Consumer Services Division is here to help. You can contact them by emailing services at ins.nh.gov or calling 800-852-3416 or you can learn more at nh.gov slash insurance. Back with more from uh, Maureen Belanger from the New Hampshire Department of Insurance right after these words. Kale & Company continues here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale & Company live here on WKXL, 
nhtalkradio.com. As we do on the first Tuesday of every month, we talk insurance here on WKXL with the great folks from the New Hampshire Insurance Department. And with us today is their Chief Examiner, Life and Health Division, Maureen Belanger. Maureen, uh, great to have you with us uh, this morning. And uh, as you mentioned uh, at the top of the show, you've been involved in the insurance industry for uh, any number of years, close to 30 years, would you say? Um, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what are the changes, some of the changes? All, all businesses evolve and change over the years. How has the insurance industry changed? Uh, in a couple of ways. First and foremost is technology, just advances in technology and how companies um, enroll um, consumers, how they process claims, how they, um, from a health perspective, how they look at services to see if they're covered. I think, you know, now we're talking about AI in insurance um, operations, and, and that's going to be an interesting realm to figure out how to not only understand what companies are doing, but how to regulate that too, and how to make sure that our laws and our rules stay up to date with the technology that's emerging. So I would have to say technology is probably the biggest, um, and it's the most exciting. The, the more companies are allowed to you know, use updated and new technology, the more they can innovate and deliver products to consumers that consumers want to have. But it's it's making sure that we stay up to date with that, um, and our and our statutes and our rules stay up to date with that as well. How, how about the the competition in the insurance industry? I, I would have to think, from an outsider's viewpoint, but just from what I see in print and on television and here on the radio and on the internet, I, I would have to think the uh, competition in the insurance business is as fierce now as it's ever been. I think in some markets it is. I think in our uh, major medical market for our qualified health plans, we've got three strong companies, um, and we've had those three companies for quite some time. But I think in some of the other markets where there may be a little less, um, I don't want to say less regulation, but... um, a little more flexibility in what they can do. I think we do see an expansion of companies, particularly in New Hampshire. Um, you know, we've got a, a, a broad array of companies that consumers can choose from, definitely in the life and health side, um, which is great. It gives them some options. They get to explore these companies a little bit and decide which is best for them, which product, which company is best for them. Mm-hmm. Do you know how prices have changed over the years in terms of insurance? I mean, are they, you know, pretty much uh, you know, keeping up to date with, uh, you know, inflation the, the, uh, or uh, have they remained stagnant or how, how has that gone over the years? So this is a little bit out of my realm, but I would say based on my limited knowledge, they've been um, fairly consistent over the last couple of years. I would say the only market that may be um, unfortunately seeing some increases would be the long-term care market. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because of the nature of the product itself, it's, that's to be expected. Um, one thing that the insurance department does do, though, is look at rates and make sure that rate increases that companies are asking for are reasonable and appropriate for mm-hmm. the market and the consumer. So um, even if something does fluctuate and go up a little bit, more than likely, we've had some input into that, and we found that to be reasonable, um, even though it may feel a little pinchy to the consumer. 
Uh, and, and you mentioned you do investigate uh, very thoroughly and, uh, and have reports that uh, consumers may have access to uh, and you know, help navigate the, the marketplace, the insurance marketplace, because uh, it is a vast one. And sometimes people are a little bit overwhelmed uh, by insurance. Uh, and uh, I don't know if anybody, you know, when you uh, take out a policy, no matter what it might be for, you know, you get a, a booklet of what it covers, what it doesn't cover, and all the ins and outs. I don't know if anybody actually ever reads those booklets from, from page to page. That's your responsibility, right, at the Department of Insurance. But to know that the folks are, are getting a, a, a good deal and uh, being covered properly. But uh, does that make the fact that you do investigate and, and have reports, I, I, I'm sure it makes for a, a better insurance product. I believe it does. Um, so when a company comes into our market and they want to file a new product or they want to change the policy that they're going to provide to consumers, it has to come through the insurance department. And we have a forms compliance team that really takes a look at that to make sure the policy language meets the laws and rules that we have in place for the state. Um before it gets sold, so before it gets into the consumer's hand. And then what we do in the market regulation unit is kind of on the back end. So once the forms compliance unit has said, yes, this meets the criteria necessary for you to be able to market and sell the product, we'll go in and see, okay, now that you've you've gotten that approval and you're actually marketing it and selling it to consumers, are you following the policy? So if you know your policy says, this particular service is covered, are you actually covering that service for the consumer? And so I think because we're looking at it before and because we're looking at it after, that consumers can take some solace in the fact that we are out there protecting them. And and that is our mission, is to protect consumers. So um, we're doing it before and after. Primarily, as you pointed out, you are a consumer protection agency. Correct. And you are protecting the, the consumer. Uh, a recent example of a market conduct examination at the insurance department would be your mental health parity market conduct exam. What led to this being investigated and how could uh, it impact future regulation of the insurance industry? Excellent question. So back in uh, 2016, when I first started at the department, um, we were in the process of looking at substance use disorder treatment and how that was being covered. And that was a result of the um, opioid crisis in New Hampshire. Um, the commissioner that we had at the time, Roger Savini, had convened a um, behavioral health advisory committee. And that committee consisted of uh, advocates, providers, insurance companies. And, and the purpose was really to figure out what can the insurance department do in order to um, effectuate some change for this crisis. And so the department launched a series of examinations that were focused on substance use disorder. When those concluded, um, we realized that it was time to look at mental health parity more broadly, not just focus on substance use disorder. So um, there were a few of us at the department who actually went to a parity academy that was put on by SAMHSA, which is the uh, Substance Use um, and Mental Health Services Administration. It's part of CMS. Um, and it was a couple-day series. And once we concluded that Parity Academy, 
we launched a series of mental health parity examinations. And the purpose was to see beyond substance use, how were insurance companies complying with um, the Mental Health Parity Act and how are they treating consumers? Are consumers getting the care that they need? Um, and that examination lasted several years. Mental health parity is very complex. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do we have state requirements for that, we there are federal requirements for that. And so um, it took us a long time to get through that. Um, and when we did, we did identify some issues. And we worked with the carriers that we examined to um, implement some compliance assurance plans, which was really how they're going to make the changes necessary to make sure that they're complying with mental health parity. And we actually just concluded that work at the beginning of this year. Um, And so we focused fairly narrowly on a particular um, non-quantitative treatment limitation, which is part of the Federal Mental Health Parity Act. And it's really focuses on the non-numeric generally speaking, um, requirements of MAPIA. And we really only looked at at one area. So there's a lot of work left to do with mental health parity. So this is something that we'll be doing more of in the future. But I think in any time we do an examination and we identify issues, um, it can bring about legislative change mm-hmm. if it needs to be, if it's if it's an anomaly or something that the company, you know, can correct by doing a compliance assurance plan or a corrective action plan, then that's fantastic. If it's something that's more of a market problem, uh, then that's something that we can talk about um, and maybe have some legislative action on. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Maureen Belanger, you have been uh, very informative on this uh, Tuesday morning. We uh, appreciate you coming in today and uh, talking about what you do at the uh, New Hampshire Insurance Department as Chief Examiner of uh, Life and Health. And uh, we, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Well, it has been our pleasure. And again, if you have questions regarding your insurance coverage at the uh, New Hampshire Insurance, insurance Department's Consumer Services Division, uh, they can help you. They are there. Uh, you can contact them by emailing services at ins.nh.gov or calling 800-852-3416 or learn more at nh.gov slash insurance. Thanks again, Maureen Belanger, for being with us today here on WKXL. Thanks for having me. We will continue right after these words. Kale and Company live on this Tuesday, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area, 1450 on the AM dial and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Joining us this morning is Donald Tung. Donald is the Managing Director of Tung Mountain Productions, LLC, and Donald, we welcome you back to the show. Great to have you with us. Yeah, good morning, Ken. Uh, good the, to be back. Well, it's good to have you. And uh, the last time we chatted with, with Donald on the program was in regard to his outstanding play at the Hatbox Theater in Concord called Scene Changes. Uh, tell us, uh, Donald, what you're up to now. Yeah, so good morning, Ken. Yeah, uh, working on a uh, film project now. Um, uh, kind of calling it poetry in motion uh, about kind of combining film and 
and poetry together uh, to kind of give a give a new way, uh, sort of a different way to um, experience poetry. Uh, and uh, working with uh, a number of uh, talented people. And obviously, uh, the the poem that you're referring to, not not obviously because uh, our audience doesn't know about it, but uh, the poem you're referring to is Home Burial, a, a famous Robert Frost uh, poem, and it, it obviously means uh, a, a lot to you. What is it about? Yeah, so uh, maybe stepping back a bit, I wrote a play about Robert Frost uh, back in 2010, I uh, did a lot of research, of course, read a lot of his poetry, and um, was really struck by this particular poem. Uh, it's actually very personal to Robert. Uh, he, he lost his uh, first uh, child, uh, very very young. Um, I don't think he was more than one at the time. And um, so it, it's a poem about a husband and wife that are trying to work through the grief of losing their child and uh, trying to find uh, a way to kind of break those barriers of uh, despair and uh, move on. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, very, uh, and it's very cinematic in its portrayal of it. And that's the thing that struck me as I was reading Frost's poems. I was struck by the um, quality of sort of uh, the, the stories that he tells through his poems. Uh, the thing is, we know, Robert Frost was... Uh, kind of a very uh, first American poetic voice. It sort of captured the uh, experiences of people in uh, New England in the 1900s mm-hmm. uh, through, uh, you know, of course, we all know Mending Wall, about uh, mending fences, uh, and, of course, uh, Road Not Taken. Um, and so he just kind of captured this whole uh, experience in the New England world and uh, it was just, um, and I guess the, I guess the thing that I'm just trying to say is that it just had this very storytelling, dramatic arc to uh, the way he uh, expressed himself. And, and of course, uh, a lot of his uh, history is based uh, right here in New Hampshire. It is, though. Interestingly enough, he was actually born in San Francisco, right? Yeah, uh, and lived there till he was 11. Uh, and uh, but yeah. It's uh, in sort of studying Frost, I found out that uh, in living at the Frost Farm in Derry, uh, he would often, because uh, they used to have the uh, the phones were sort of um, communal, you know, you pick up the phone, you could hear conversations at that time uh, of other people. And so he'd hear the phone ring and he'd go and answer it and, or go and, I say, answer it because you could tell if it was your phone or not, but he would listen in just to get sort of the uh, colloquial speech and the idioms of the people around him. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> he just kind of absorbed the uh, the world around him at that time. Yeah. Now, uh, I know, Donald, you have uh, partnered with uh, Canterbury Shaker Village to bring uh, this classic Robert Frost poem, uh, Home mm-hmm. Burial, uh, to life. Uh, what was their reaction when you approached them uh, with the idea? Yeah, they're very uh, excited about it. We actually uh, did a walkthrough yesterday with uh, our uh, design uh, production designer and uh, directors of photography to kind of you know get the lay of the land. Uh, we're going to be using the uh, the schoolhouse uh-huh. uh, uh, there that's uh, on the property uh, that has a sort of a, a prominent feature that we need for the 
uh, for the uh, film. Uh, it's a, a window at the top of the stairs, because that's kind of how the poem opens, uh, with a woman standing at the window at the top of the stairs. Um, so, yeah, no, they're very excited and uh, looking forward to uh, getting in there and uh, filming it. Uh, actually, we're scheduled to start shooting this month. Well, that that is terrific. So, uh, was that the specific reason that you selected uh, Canterbury Shaker Village as a backdrop because it had the kind of uh, facility there that uh, that you wanted for a backdrop? Yeah, that was basically it. Uh, my um, associate producer had reached out to them, and they sent us some pictures there. And uh, so, yeah, we had sort of this this. Um, perfect uh, environment to be able to kind of capture this uh, uh, this poem. Uh, of course, we're going to have to dress it up a bit. Uh, the uh, Right now, it looks like a schoolhouse. Uh, so our uh, production designer is going to be trying to you know, dress it up, make it look more like a home. So that's all part of the uh, getting in there and uh, making it work for the film. So the, the filming will start taking place, uh, as I understand it, the weekend of uh, June 23rd. Is that correct? Yep, that's when we're planning to uh, to be in there and uh, be able to uh, got three days uh, we've scheduled um, to uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be uh, kind of uh, camping out there for those days and getting the, the shots we need for the uh, put the film together. Yeah. So is that uh, all the filming, three days worth of filming there? Is that uh, is that going to be it? It should be. Uh, yeah. It's a you know a short film, uh, yeah. obviously, uh, just using the uh, the, the uh, text of the poem. Um, so this is really going to be um, the the poem delivered in. Oh, the, the poem has a lot of dialogue, and so you have the characters performing the dialogue within the poem. Uh, but then we'll hear the sort of the descriptive action uh, in over uh, in voiceover, oh, and so okay. you'll get the so it'll be the film will be just strictly the text of the poem, uh, and uh, I know there's some actually I've come across some other uh, film projects that have kind of used this same uh, material as sort of their base um, in, uh, inspiration, um, and they've kind of you know, adapted it, but, you know, kind of changed things and whatnot. Um, but I'm interested in just really just capturing the, uh, the flavor of the poem and the, uh, and again, the, uh, the dialogue, uh, that's, uh, just right in there and, uh, beautifully written. So it will be the, the poem home burial verbatim, not, no changes. The, uh, the actual text of, of the poem. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It's, uh, yeah, right. Lifted, so it's all all Robert's words. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, my uh, I wrote a screenplay to kind of you know, describe how it's going to play out in the film. Um, but it actually follows the uh, the poem pretty uh, strictly because again, if I could just read just like the first part of the poem here, sure, uh, sure, to give you an idea. It starts off with. He saw her from the bottom of the stairs before she saw him. She was starting down, looking back over her shoulder at some fear. She took a doubtful step and then undid it to raise herself and look again. He spoke, advancing toward her. What is it you see from up there, always? For I want to know. And so you can hear, you know, right 
from the beginning, as I said earlier, it's just very cinematic in its quality of describing the scene, right. what's happening, and you can just see it. Yeah, I, it, in reading it, I just decided, well, just reads like a screenplay. If anyone you know familiar with reading screenplays, I guess most people don't read screenplays and see the films, uh, but they have the descriptive language uh, of how the uh, the film should uh, lay out on the screen, and you just see it right here in his uh, in his words. You can envision it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. absolutely. Uh, tell us about the actors uh, involved and why they were chosen. Yeah, no. So I have uh, two actors that I've worked with before, and uh, I just know that they're uh, strong actors. And uh, I guess you know that's really the, the primary quality I'm looking for. Uh, we've been uh, rehearsing a bit, uh, trying to uh, work out the different moments, um, but. Uh, yeah, uh, they've been uh, part of my, my theater world uh, yeah. in the past, and so uh, I just know they're going to do a terrific job at this. Donald Tung is with us, the managing director of Tongue Mountain Productions, uh, talking about uh, his new short film, uh, Home Burial. It's based on the, uh, the Robert Frost home, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people now are going to be uh, uh, scrambling uh, online now to, to find it, Donald, so they can read the whole thing. Uh, but uh, you, you inspire a lot of people to read poetry today, I think. But uh, can you hang with us for a couple of minutes? Certainly. All right. We have to take a quick break and uh, a couple more questions for Donald after the break right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, Kale and Company Live, presented by... Northeast Delta Dental. We will be right back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Donald Tung is with us today talking about his new short film, Home Burial, based on the Robert Frost poem which I know a lot of people are looking up online right now, Donald, so they can uh, can read the whole thing. Filming will take place at Canterbury Shaker Village on June the 23rd, the weekend of uh, June 23rd. Now, uh, the shooting is uh, closed to the public, uh, but Shaker Village will be open for uh, regular tours uh, during that time. Now, let, let's talk about, uh, Donald, uh, what happens after the filming takes place. What is the, the process after you uh, do the filming at, uh, at Canterbury Shaker Village? What is the process after that? Yeah, so then we go into uh, post-production, uh, which is just taking all the, uh, the footage that we've captured, uh, the B-reels and all that uh, great stuff, and uh, just putting it together uh, through the editing process, uh, and then finding the music that we want to use, and yeah, so there's there's a lot of work, and you know, a lot of people say that uh, films are really made in the in the editing process because <laughs> yeah. you, you capture a lot in the moment, um, and you may have a, a vision of how it might go together, but then you get your footage and you think, oh, geez, you know, here's a, a different way to kind of approach that moment and and edit it uh, just from the uh, the footage you have. Uh, in fact, I heard heard an interview with. Uh, Tom Hanks recently, and uh, he was saying that uh, a lot of times, you know, he sees the film and 
you know, remembers being, you know, shooting that moment or whatever. And it's like totally different from what he thought yeah. <laughs> it's going to end up being. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, so yeah, it's, uh, quite another, uh, whole, uh, step in the process. The post post-production. Yeah. Now what, uh, you know, you, you say a short film, what, what do you envision in, in terms of, uh, the length uh, of this film? Uh, I would say anywhere between 10, no more than 20. And again, that's, uh, when you get into the post, you know, you kind of, you're shaping it and you're not, you know, it may expand or may contract, you know, it's hard to tell at this point. Uh, but yeah, 10, certainly no more than 20 at the very most. Uh, so. Now, I have to ask you, uh, from my novice point of view here, uh, where would you be able to see this film after it is uh, all produced? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's, yeah, the next step is uh, sort of distributing it. Um, we'll certainly be uh, submitting it to film festivals uh, yeah. and trying to gather uh, interest through those. Um not a whole lot of avenues for short films to be, you know, streamed or whatever on, you know, kind of your typical streaming networks. Um, but um, hopefully we'll be able to have uh, some uh, distribution and uh, also looking into, you know, potentially having it uh, uh, aired at the, uh, uh, shown at the uh, Red River Theater there yeah. in Concord. Sure. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be terrific, uh, and and I know that uh, that every year the Red River does show the the shorts in in various categories that are up for uh, Academy Awards, and and you know what, <clears throat> Donald, I find sometimes that that those uh, short films uh, that you see they'll show you know the six or seven nominees or whatever it might be, and the the various short film categories. I, I sometimes find those films to be uh, more compelling than the uh, films we see from the, the major motion picture studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of great independent work going on out there that uh, people are uh, producing. Yeah. This- and, uh, again, going back to the Tom Hanks uh, interview, he, he said, a good film length is about 90 minutes, you know, because everything's like over two hours now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he he's saying that yeah, probably less is a little little better, or less is more. Yeah, and uh, uh, this will not exceed ninety minutes. That's for sure, folks. Somewhere between yeah, some, not. <laughs> somewhere between between ten and, and twenty. Have you worked uh, on on films before, Donald? Uh, a little bit. I've done a little bit of uh, sort of uh, filming online. Uh, I did a little short series. Um, called Candid Candidate. Uh, it was sort of a uh, mockumentary about uh, presidential candidates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and then another one called uh, Snowfall, uh, which was a um, sort of a uh, combination of film and uh, audio play uh, where you didn't see the actors at all. The actors were all off screen. And it had just this one uh, sort of shot of snow falling <laughs> and then you heard the actors uh, uh off screen so yeah definitely uh tried a number of sort of experimental little uh projects uh in the uh film world 
What What are you uh, working on, any, if anything, in the uh, theatrical world these days? No, I, I have to say this project has definitely taken up all my time at this point. Yeah. Uh, until I, you know, kind of pull together uh, all the uh, the needed uh, professionals uh, to uh, put this together. Finally, found a makeup and hairstylist uh, for the uh, shoot. <laughs> so yeah, trying to. Yeah, I, I would have to get... think costume uh, design would be a key in this one. Yeah, uh, we're working on that. Uh, we have uh, some resources where we've kind of pulled together sort of the uh, you know, sort of the Edwardian period, uh, but not high high fashion. It would be in the uh, very rural kind of Edwardian uh, dress. But uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, all those little pieces—hair, makeup, clothing, props. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Definitely, yeah. So, so when yeah. it's all all said and done in this in this uh, short film of uh, ten to twenty minutes, uh, how how many people are actually involved in the production? Uh, we're looking at about uh, ten people as far as the crew uh, involved in uh, in the day days of shooting. Um, so, uh, you have your uh, directors of photography, our uh, production designer, and the uh, Script supervisor, sound, um, yeah, director. I'm directing it, uh, and uh, so yeah. Well, it's not, is... not a terribly large space, so we don't have a room for a lot of people. <laughs> to, right, just kind of the on on set, uh, but yeah, there'll definitely be a number of people working the outstanding and and uh can't wait to see it when it's all all finished and uh ho- hopefully uh I'd love to see it uh at at Red River and I'm sure you would uh, show yeah. up to uh to answer questions afterwards yeah yeah definitely that that would be uh, that would be terrific because uh, uh for independent filmmakers uh, like yourself uh you know it, it's great to have a place that uh that would show uh, a short film like this, and I, I think Red River would uh, fall into that category. Well, Donald, it's it's great to catch up with you and uh, learn about your uh, most uh, recent endeavor, uh, Home Burial, the, the uh, short film that will be uh, filmed at Canterbury Shaker Village uh, by the end of the month. And, Donald, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you, Ken. Uh, and, uh... And Have a great day. Stay in touch. I'll do. All right. Thanks, Donald. Donald Bye. Tung of uh, Tung Mountain Productions, uh, LLC, one of the uh, creative minds uh, in our state that has done a lot of uh, stage uh, work in the past and now working on this uh, short film, uh, and it's called Home Burial, the uh, classic Robert Frost poem. Uh, in case you missed it last night, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights did it again. They beat the Florida Panthers this time 7-2 to two. Uh, in Vegas. Series will move to uh, Florida, to Sunrise, Florida, for Game 3 on Thursday with Vegas leading the Florida Panthers by a margin of two games to none in this best-of-seven series. And uh, the NBA... Uh, championship series. The NBA Finals will continue on uh, Wednesday night uh, in Miami. 
with the Heat. And the Denver Nuggets tied at one game apiece. And, of course, lots of local sports action going on uh, as well, involving uh, high school teams in the area. And uh, we will keep you up to date uh, on that as best we can, as uh, three divisions of uh, girls lacrosse will be decided tonight uh, across the state. And uh, we'll have those results uh, tomorrow here on Kale and Company Live, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We're at 1039 in the Capital Region, 1019 in Manchester and beyond, 1450 on the AM dial and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Com. Tomorrow, we will be joined by Neil Levesque, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. That'll do it for this Tuesday edition of Kale & Company. Thanks for joining us right here on WKXL.